pushes away from McCulloch. Thurston gets the ball to Morgan. Morgan crosses the 20. Comes away to O'Neill. Gets the Welcome to Above the Horizontal, a podcast about rugby league. I'm your host, Bo Nicholson. Miles Stedman is back to join Kieran Gibson and I to wrap up round eight, discuss the latest signings, news and rumours, and analyse the upcoming fixtures in round nine. Kieran, I've got good news this week. We have our friend Miles Stedman from Sydney. He's uh, done some time travelling. He's returned from the dark ages. The people have rejoiced. <laughs> Sydney has internet again. Miles, it's lovely to have you back. Oh, gee, bro, you could have at least warned me you were going to shit all over my city. Goodness <laughs> Uh, we did actually say that Brisbane officially is the better city last week on the pod um, because we have internet and you didn't. But uh, <laughs> like, it, it's you know, it's Very a small win reason. for us. Very valid reason. <laughs> um, and Kieran, did you have a lovely weekend watching football? I did. That's pretty much all I did. Um, yeah, it was, it was good though. I enjoyed it. Unfortunately, uh, you fared the worst of us with your tips and predictions you got four out of eight which is very low numbers for you you usually do a little bit better than well me certainly Uh, and your bold prediction was that the eels would score the most points of any club in the round and the sharks would score the least they were both incorrect the eels were eight points off the pace behind the storm and the sharks scored 10 more than the knights um but uh, a bit of a tricky weekend for you yeah yeah um my name i don't know well not many would know my name in tipping is kieran's on top of the ladder that's a bit of an inside joke with a mate but uh yeah kieran's no longer on top of i think any ladder that i'm in so not a great weekend i too am not on top of any ladders i got five out of eight though and i'm gonna take that as a small victory uh my prediction was that reese walsh and scott drinkwater would combine for at least four try assists uh they both had good games uh for the cowboys and the warriors in attack particularly um Mm. but unfortunately just the two official try assists um with one each so i didn't get that one and miles you uh you fared the best of us when it came to the tip six out of eight this week um but your tip that Chambers would score on his return to the NRL against his old club was uh, was not correct. Yeah, I think my uh, I think my perfect round died on the final day too, from memory. Got the Dragons and in, in one other tip wrong. The Cowboys. Maybe oh, that's it. No, I'm no, so no, I got sorry. no. I think I actually tipped the Warriors to win. Right? <laughs> well, well, fuck you then. Um, okay. <laughs> Kieran, what I want to know is, <laughs> Kieran, what I want to know is, what did you learn from round eight? Um, I learned that a hefty lead is not safe this season. Uh, we've seen in the last three weeks. Last week, the Broncos came from twenty-two behind in one first half of football, which was I was actually at the game. That was awesome to watch. Um, 
with Owen. Shout out to Owen. Uh, and the week before, the Cowboys came from 24-6 behind. And then the week before that, the Bunnies came from 24-10 behind. Uh, unfortunately, the Titans were involved in losing two of those leads. However, I think it shows that the speed of the game and then resulting momentum shifts are so important. And the lead, that elite is not safe compared to previous years where there is less where there was less comebacks. Yeah, I've got actually the same thing. I said there's no such thing as a dead game with PVL ball, which, of course, stands for Peter Volandis, Um, particularly if the Raiders or Titans are winning football games. So that's pretty much exactly (laughs) what we said. Um, If the Raiders and Titans are in front by 30 with 20 minutes left, I'm not calling it a game at this point. Uh, It's it's getting to that stage. Miles, what did you learn from round eight? Well, I learned that much like the club, the, the Sharks players, I think, have checked out on this year, and, and how could you possibly blame them? I mean, they've, they've lost four games in a row now, I think it is, and, and I, I think, actually, they still haven't won since the, the firing of John Morris, and look, if I were a Sharks season ticket holder right now, you, not only do you have to, to travel to your, your arch-rivals uh, stadium for, for your home games, but you've, you've basically got a... Uh, what can be best described as a wasted year, and so I'd, I'd be asking for my money back. I don't know if that's ever been a successful strategy for a fan, but you you make a good point about you know. The well, fact tell that the me Sharks, why I should have it back. Well, I mean, you know, you make a point that the Sharks have made the finals the last couple of years with John Morris, and I don't think any of us really predicted they'd have a great year this year. I predicted they'd be outside the eight, but uh, they're a better football team than what they're showing at the moment. And yeah, as you say, hard to blame the players. Let's move forward to the wildcard awards for round eight. I'll start us off with the Holy Trapezoids Batman Award for best <laughs> Brock Lesnar impersonation, which goes to Tyson Gamble. Now, for those that don't know who Brock Lesnar is, he's a he's an old wrestler from the uh, WWE, and he had uh, trapezoids that were just ridiculous. He was basically just this weird shape. And look, Gamble, look, he appeared to be a bit of a tosser the way he was carrying on at Brimson's sin binning. But that effort and passion is what the Broncos have lacked. And as I discussed a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that I want as a fan of a struggling club is full effort from your players. So Tyson Gamble wins the Holy Trapezoids Batman Award for Best Brock Lesnar Impersonation. Miles, what's your wildcard award for round eight? Well, unfortunately, I haven't actually come up with a name for my wildcard award, but it does involve uh, shitting on the Broncos, so I thought you guys probably wouldn't mind too much. Um, <laughs> look, I, everyone knows that they've uh, they've uh, signed or, I guess, agreed to uh, uh, a new CEO with, with Dave Donaghy. After about 15 years of attempting to poach anyone and everyone from the Storm's ranks, uh, see Cameron Smith, uh, Greg Inglis, and, and as has been reported much the past 24 months, most of the, the, the Storm's front office has been invited to, to come and uh, <laughs> join the, the Broncos as the CEO. Um, Donnie, he said this week that we, we can't just hope to emulate the Storm's success. And, and to me, that seems like a, an admission of a wasted decade and a half, really. Very interesting that he's, uh, he's taking the uh, Hypocrite Award this week, I would suggest, by, by <laughs> yeah. be, being in charge of, of uh, probably the most successful poaching club. Um, but they, they, didn't, they didn't necessarily poach uh, established guns. It was mostly kids that were on the fringes and things like that. But as you say, they've, they've turned them into a bunch of the, the world's best players that we've seen. And uh, it's, it's interesting that he came out so hard on his first day uh, as a Broncos 
uh, chief executive. But you know, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Um, Kieran, what is your wildcard award for round eight? Um, I'm sorry, Chris. Mine highlights the, uh, a Tigers player, but in the end, I end up shitting on your club. So sorry in advance. But I've got the <laughs> the Nick Honey Badger Cult Hero Award, which goes to Zach Cheney on multiple accounts. One for his sterling performance. Excuse me. Two for his strawberry orange flowing mullet. And lastly, for the simple fact that he joins a rare group that debuted for the Tigers instead of defecting to other clubs due to his obvious talent and lack of finals footy at the Tigers. I kid. <laughs> uh, I don't think you really kid that much. <laughs> like, no. he, he did look promising, though, didn't he? I, I believe he was a, a Panthers junior, also I heard about a thousand times on the commentary. Okay. Um, during the Channel 9 commentary, which I had the uh, the grave mistake of listening to at various points. Yeah, I love um, to know that. Yeah, like, oh, Panthers, he's Panthers, he's Panthers, he's Panthers. Yeah, thanks, Phil Gould. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he looks fantastic for the Tigers, but I think we will talk about Zach. Uh, is it Cini or Cini? Oh, I'm know. not sure. What did I say? I heard Cini. Yeah, I've heard Cini, but like I thought it looked like Cini. So we're just going to go with uh, Zach C from... <laughs> no, that's, no, 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 that's too obvious. Uh, how about Zed Cini? Uh, let's talk about another winger. Uh, I mixed up the uh, the run sheet a little bit on you, Kieran. Apologies for that. But <laughs> so I've, I've decided to take uh, the very first news hit up for, uh, for the next six items. I think the biggest news story in the weekend was that Brett Morris uh, had what is certainly a season-ending injury. It looks to be an ACL. I think it was confirmed to be such. Uh, going down with like three minutes left in the game against the Knights when they're in front by like 28 points. So that was really unfortunate. Um, and at his age, he's turning 35 later this year. He It may well have been his last game. Uh, and a lot of the whisperings that I'm hearing behind the scenes... Uh, not that I'm behind the scenes, but I'm hearing whispers from people behind the scenes, is that uh, he's preparing himself to retire, which is obviously a big shame. Uh, I think Brett Morris is a much-loved figure in the sport of rugby league, and and, uh, obviously I I think I speak on behalf of all of us when I say that he... uh, We wish him all the best with his injury, and hopefully we'd love to see him play again. But the question that Kieran put to us is... Is he the greatest winger that we have seen play? So, Miles, is Brett Morris the greatest you've seen? Look, I think the answer is maybe. Um, the the only hole in, in his resume for me is, and it, I think it is a pretty big hole, and that's just the way I kind of chop these things up, is that he was never, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he was never voted into the Dallium team, team of the year or, or named wing of the year. And I, I think that surely if you're going to, uh, put yourself forward, or sorry, if you're going to have others put you forward as the the greatest wing in of the NRL era, at least or whatever, you have to have at least been voted into that team once, right? Or, or voted best in your position at, at least one season. And like for comparison, Achille Uate, who I think most would laugh if you you suggested he was uh, the best wing of the the NRL era, he was voted into that team three times. So at his best, he was, in my humble opinion, a far better player than. Than Brett Morris ever was. Um, so, look, it, it is a perspective things and, and what you weight, of course. But uh, longevity, I think he's obviously got anyone covered. But at his peak, w- was he really that much better than than you know three or even five of some of the, his contemporaries? I don't think so. 
Miles makes an interesting point there, Kieran. You, you probably couldn't call him the flashiest of wingers going around, uh, but that longevity does does speak to a lot, I think, um, particularly when you consider that he played almost 300 NRL games across a decade, like for, across uh, a career that started in 2006 with St. George Illawarra. Is he the greatest winger you've seen play? Oh, I mean, I, I have, yes. I'll read what I have, but Miles has kind of uh, made me think about it a bit more. I've, I've kind of gone on the, the longevity kind of side of things. I, I said yes, no, two ways about it. Um, I think he's the epitome of the quote that sport is a game of inches. He always fought for that inch. Uh, I won't harp on for too long, but the, the most credit I can give him is he was a huge reason I gave him himself and uh, Jared Hayne they were both huge reasons that I gave New South Wales much hope during the um, Queensland 8 Series winning streak. Uh, he not only closed class on the field, but off it too. Um, and there's just a few instances I feel like he really raised his game um, when the intensity and the it was finals footy or, or origin or Australia. I feel like that's where his, his best games were. Um, that's why I, I have him as the best that I've ever seen. I, had, I was also considering Matt Singh, but there was a few instances where himself and his brother included um, just pulled a rabbit out of the hat and ridiculous tries or, or stopped tries that looked like they were certainty. So for mine, I'd have to say, yes, he is the, the greatest I've seen play. I think Brett Morris certainly has Matt Singh covered, but Matt Singh's, and I think he has Iwate covered too, in my opinion. I, I say he probably is the greatest that I've seen. The only one that challenges him would probably be Wendell Saylor. For, and Wendell Saylor was probably more in that Uate mould, um, but more consistent than him for a longer period of time. And just the fact that he could, he was a pure impact player. And, and if a lot of wingers, I'm looking at um, like the Panthers right now. You look at their two wingers, who are Brian Toto and Charlie Staines. Now, I think Charlie Staines is the kind of guy that relies on the forward pack going forward really well and the inside men creating a bit of space for him and just laying on like opportunities for him. He seems like one of those sort of players at the moment in his career. Brian Toto is someone that gets back there and actually impacts on the game with damaging runs through the middle and, and things like that. And Saylor was one of those sort of players. He could He could change a game even if the forward pack wasn't doing what they needed to to win a game. So for me, it's between Morris and Saylor. Um, Uate, just, you're right, He there was a time there where he was devastating uh, in that Saylor kind of mold. And Matt Singh was uh, very similar to Brett Morris in the sense that he had that longevity. The thing I liked about Brett Morris is that he was quicker than maybe all of those players on the exception of Uate. Um, super strong, like big, huge physical athletes. Some of those put downs like from kicks were just incredible uh, a superb athlete um and i think the thing that i like the most about him um where you know wendell sailor seems like a bit of a tosser Yuate <laughs> super talented but like not uh, uh maybe not a thinking man's winger i i think defensively sometimes matt singh i think you extracted everything that he could out of his talent but i think brett morris is very much in that mold and and never had a, a blip on his radar when it comes to behavior or anything like that. And and that's something that I really respect as well. So for me as a package, when we look back at his entire career, um, 
on the exception of a of a Dalliem, as you as you rightly mentioned, although he was he was looking really good for it this year. <laughs> it was probably yeah, between true. him and Ryan Toto for this year, um, and unfortunately, cut short. Unfortunately, but uh, but Brett Morris is the greatest that I've seen. Uh, but I do think you raise a good point, Miles. Uh, speaking of Brett Morris, let's let's just talk about the fact that obviously we all saw that footage uh, from the dressing room after the game. You know, he's been essentially carried off the field, and uh, his brother was next to him on the field. Uh, you know, while he was writhing around in pain, and then gets to the dressing room. Brett Morris is very visibly upset um it looked like he was crying and it looked like there was a realization there that it could have been the end of his career and josh morris just came over and put his arm around him and sat next to him and that was really harrowing footage and it was moving but i asked the question it was great access but is it too much access miles I'd, i'd love to have your thoughts on this Look, it, 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 to me, it's always felt a, a bit voyeuristic and, and not in a good way for my liking, uh, especially given how often we do criticise what goes on inside a, a locker room, you know, whether a player has mm-hmm. their phone out or, or whatever. And, you know, for, for every kind of Wayne Bennett dancing around uh, like an old man um, <laughs> clip that we get, we also we probably get like three or four of those things that we end up criticising. But, um, look, I, I think the way I look at it, if... If a fan at the actually at at the actual game can't just wander on into the locker room, then why should a fan at home be privy to to what goes on in there also? So look, I I certainly don't think I'd I'd lose anything from my viewing um, my viewing experience if we we lost the locker room shots. Yeah, I think I fall pretty close to that, um, Kieran. I know that we were big fans of the aforementioned Wayne Bennett dancing, and it was a good <laughs> meme for a bit. Um, but where do you no, where do you land on this meme. one? It's a fantastic <laughs> meme. Uh, but where do where do you land on this one, Kieran? Yeah, I have to agree with Miles and echo everything he said. And also, they were on. They homed in on uh, Brett Morris for about five minutes. It's like it's almost as if they wanted him to look up and look into the camera and explain what's gone wrong when it was all very very obvious for everyone. Like it was just, it didn't add anything for mine. Uh, I don't know what they were trying to get from it. Um, yeah, I thought it was very poor. I didn't like it. And uh, well, what they, uh, what I think they wanted from it was the uh, the news outlets that have used that footage pretty much nonstop when talking about Brett Morris for the next couple of days, um, or at least regarding sports reports and things like that. It, it was it was unusual access, and it's obviously newsworthy, but. Sometimes I just think that maybe we take it a step too far. We, we, we were talking about ways that uh, the game can engage fans a couple of weeks ago. And we talked about things like moving games to country towns and and things like that. But do we have to have those sort of moments uh, on our screens uh, for literally millions of people to see if they want to uh i'm not for it either so that's that's a across the board no from above the horizontal let's let's talk about the the roosters a little bit more i'm sorry to any non-roosters fans out there (laughs) three of us are among that number but uh we're gonna talk about sam walker it's pretty hard to ignore him after he took about you know a thousand try assists the other day is he already better and more effective than Luke Keery. In other words, can he steer 
the Roosters to a premiership in 2021. Kieran, what do you think? For uh, a prem- uh, lead the Roosters to a premiership in 2021 without Kiri, no. But um, I'm, I've tried to argue that, yes, he is already better than Kiri, and I've, I've just sort of based it on the fact that I can't recall a player that's come in at his age in his position and done what he's done for such a big club that has so many injuries as well. Um, to, to further compliment him, I, I believe he's the most adventurous talent I have seen this early on in their career. Uh, mm. He just has that brilliant vision when he sees a play. There's zero hesitation. Uh, he just goes for it. Um, and he has the execution to match. Uh, he doesn't just sort of see something and he is sort of a bit like, well, I don't even know if if, Bro- if you can say Brooks has vision, but, um, but it's, Walker can see a, a play and he'll execute it and he'll see a play that no one else can really see. He's he's done some freaky things already. Um, I don't think he can do it without Kiri, but I am absolutely not ruling him out with Kiri back on board on them leading them, uh, the Roosters to a premiership, um, even if that is a remote chance this season with, uh, for Kiri to come back. Um, but if they get Boyd Cordner back fit and firing and Kiri, um, their premiership window is at least by no means closed and uh, a premiership tilt this season would definitely be on the cards. Lachlan Lamb's just around the corner as well. And, and don't forget that they have that young fella named Joseph Suwali that we've only heard the name of 2,000 times this year. So <laughs> they've got a few options coming, uh, some reinforcements on their way. Miles, it's it's a big question. Uh, I ruled them out a couple of weeks ago. I think you did similar, uh, despite Sam Walker's obvious talent. Um, are you happy to stand by that and say that they won't win a premiership this year? And... Further to that, uh, do you think he's already better than Luke Keary? Well, I am going to throw them back into the mix. I think Sam Walker's improving at a, a pace so rapidly that you you just imagine that they would, with how good the rest of the team is, uh, if they do get some more players back from injury, obviously, yeah, Keary gone for the season, but if they get a few more players back from injury, they might uh, be in and around, and I, I certainly wouldn't doubt them. Um to, to sort of turn the conversation towards or back towards Walker, I think personally he is already better than than Luke Keary. And, and as I sort of said offline earlier in the week, um, we, we all remember Walker's debut. It wasn't that long ago. He, he's already second in the league in try assists and, and only two behind Jerome Louis. And that's having played probably maybe uh, off the top of my head 80% less games than everyone else. So mm. it, it truly is incredible. And, and obviously his back line helps with that. And, it, it, but I think it's worth mentioning that they, he and Kiri are different players. I, I think that that should be obvious to the eye. I think long ter- longer term, Walker seems like more of a five eighth to me. He looks um, uh, probably a bit more adept at playing with the rest of the Roosters backline than than Kiri is, and and obviously the forward pack can easily marshal itself around the field. It, it's just that good without Luke Kiri. But I think they are, have there's plenty of hope of them playing next to each other um, as their careers go on, um, which is just a reminder of how dangerous they're going to be next year when they, they're both on the field together. Um, so, look, but, but that's it. I, I, even though I think that Walker probably has already surpassed Kiri, I, I, I don't think that it, by any means um, means that they're a better team than with Luke Kiri because they, they just haven't amassed that level of familiarity yet. So, you know, maybe toward the end of the season, but right now I'll I take Walker the player, but the Roosters with Kiri as the team. Okay. I 
I, I have probably a couple of points on this that might seem a bit conflicting. Number one is that, uh, again, I watched the game plan on NRL.com with Anthony Seabold. And one thing that I've always thought about Luke Keary is that he's not particularly a flashy type. You know, he's a, he's, he's a dangerous enough runner of the football, but he's, he's more clinical and efficient. Um, Maybe not quite to the Cooper Cronk level, but he very much has attended the Cooper Cronk school, hasn't he? Like the way that he plays, he's an effort player. And Sam Walker looks a bit flashier with those over-the-head passes and, and things like that. But one thing that uh, Anthony Seabold covered this week's episode was the one percenters. And he pointed out a moment where Sam Walker um, really put in that extra effort to get himself behind the football after it's just been like, you know, field territory kicked downfield to Daniel Tupo. Um, and, you know, no, most people probably just leave that to the wingers and fullbacks for that very first play for the kick return. But Sam Walker hustled back on the other side of the field, like well away from the ball because he's a right side player in defense and Daniel Tupo is on the left where he catches it. Tupo gives it to Manu, who was playing fullback at the time. And then he works his way across field. And because Morris and Walker have become an option for, for that effort play, uh, Walker makes 30 meters down the field and gets them right on the front foot into the Dragons territory. I think it was a couple of weeks ago. Like little, little moments like that, you sit there and go, wow, this kid's 18. It's his like fourth game where he's doing that. And it's just those little things. He's not just a flashy player. But I will say this. It is just his fifth game. I'm not willing to call it just yet. He obviously looks like he has an amazing ceiling. And it's those little effort plays we talked about that uh, are the most exciting thing about him. But I don't think teams have worked him out yet. And I think some of those over-the-head like overhead passes across, uh, like cutout passes and things like that, will be a bit dangerous once defensive lines work him out a little bit. And does he have the ability to mix up his game enough to still be his current level of effective uh, without, you know, without risky plays? I think back to uh, the Parramatta Eels had a halfback named Tim Smith, you guys might remember. And Mm -hmm. he was just like an absolute gun in his first year, like led the try assists and the whole thing. Queensland are talking about him being one of their origin halfbacks. They're talking about him being the best halfback Parramatta have had since Peter Sterling. And then the second year syndrome happened. And then he became like a regular uh, halfback because teams worked him out. Luke Well, yeah, exactly. He ended up just having to go off to England um, to finish his career and had an okay career over there. Luke here, he's been through that. Uh, he, you know, he won a premiership with the Rabbitohs at five eight. Then he, uh, you know, became a bench player for a while because teams started to work him out. Went to the Roosters, became a premiership winner again, uh, and Clive Churchill medalist. Uh, well, no, he did, didn't he? Yeah. Um, it was. I, I was still. I'm still putting Kiri ahead of Walker at the moment. Is what I'm saying, I guess. Um, but a lot of encouraging signs for Sam Walker. And and do they have it to be a premiership threat this year? They'll challenge some teams if they face them in the finals, and I'm sure the Roosters will be there, but I don't think Sam Walker's got a full season of riggers in him leading a team around. Uh, So that's a no from me. Let's talk about another team and their premiership chances, uh, the Brisbane Broncos. They they had a win on Friday night, uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of people are celebrating that, but the the stark reality is that they let the Titans score 22 points in 15 minutes and should have lost that game. Uh, It was a really good comeback once they started to get some ball. 
But they are in the biggest rut they've ever had as a club, on the exception of Friday. And they face a pretty massive rebuild. Um, Kieran, do you reckon the Broncos are the most desperate club in the NRL in need of a rebuild at this stage, considering the amount of young talent they're losing at the moment too? Um, I tossed up between the, the Broncos and, interesting, interestingly enough, the Dragons. Uh, I don't think either side knows what they want in terms of a roster at the moment, and that is a huge problem and should be their, their number one priority. Um, just for example, the Cowboys have had three dismal seasons, and now Peyton has come in and run the rule over the Cowboys squad, getting players like Talongi and Robson to go to new levels not seen in the past. And then we've um, also recruited, obviously, Dearden and Townsend in the halves. Um, whereas the Broncos and Dragons have kept largely the same squads as the last few years in which they've had lean years. Um, and they've also got rid of, of either got rid of players that aren't that great. And then the Dragons have signed Maguire and Molo. And the more I think about that, I, I don't really see that as taking them to the next level at all. I just sort of see them keep as keeping them where they are and just kind of being happy as as being a uh, an NRL team um, and just competing, uh, not even making finals. It doesn't it doesn't compute for me. Um, they, and their game plan isn't a season long sustainable one. It's kind of crash and bash uh, the other team into submission. I could have argued I've gone the Dragons just to, to make it clear, and I, I could have argued the Broncos given the culture at the club seems in disarray at the moment, at least to some extent, despite what the people representing the club would probably say. Um, but the Dragons, though, three quarters of their spine is also 30 years or older, and I don't see any players um, as backup coming through. Maybe Jack, oh, well, I was going to say Jack Bird at fullback for Dufty, but Dufty's young, so, and they don't even want Dufty. I don't know how that makes sense. Um, I just wonder what their plans for the future are because they they desperately need a, a long-term vision, which doesn't seem apparent at this moment in time at all. Um, yeah, I actually now think that I rate Walters higher than Hook and, and the Dragons, as far as I know, don't have a, as big a war chest as the Broncos to call on. That's a huge... That's probably the one that really nailed it for me and has given me the... landed me on the Dragons. Miles, you've um, you've defended Anthony Griffin a few times in the past. Suffice to say that you probably don't agree that Kevy is better than than Griffin. But uh, which which club do you think is in most desperate need of a rebuild? Well, I think the the uncertainty around the Sharks' direction um, is what uh, is is uh, making me lean in their direction. I think obviously with an incoming head coach, it, that's always an uncertain about whether they're going to. Uh, what, what direction they're going to go into, and it, it makes me feel like they have a longer road to contention than the Broncos, who, who, you know, for what it's worth, they've already, or theoretically, bottomed out. I don't think they can get any worse than they are <laughs> right now. So, mm. uh, and to add on to that, there is going to be a ton of talent leaving the Sharks next year. We knew that with with or without John Morris, and I think the rest of the roster is on the older side too. So, there there may be need to be a few seasons of upheaval in order for for the Sharks to have any any chance of returning to the postseason. And obviously they re-signed Connor Tracy this week, which we're going to talk about. But apart from that and, and maybe a few other guys, you, you really can't see anyone who's um, a, a real long-term prospect for them. So that that's quite concerning, I think. Yeah, I think one thing for the Sharks that's gone under the radar is the fact that Cameron McInnes has been signed uh, from the Dragons for next year, but out of sight, out of mind, right? Like, I guess... We don't really think how, about that. How old is much. he as well? 
Mm. I think he's like late twenties would be would be my guess, but he's he's not twenty seven. So yeah, not as yeah. not as old as I thought he was. He was so it's yeah, fair enough. Yeah, Reynolds. Um, Reynolds is looking likely to be a shark at this point as well, if he can possibly break up with the Rabbitohs. So there's a couple of good players there, but as you say, Reynolds not the uh, not the youngest chicken in the in the roost, is he? So um, I don't know where that saying came from. Oh. <laughs> 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 just, just, just just freestyling over here, like bloody Eminem, uh, like whatever. Yeah, look, interesting. I, I um I, I agree with. The Sharks, I think they are going to rebuild. I, I, I agree with you, Kieran, that uh, one good thing that Todd Payton's done is he sat there and he very obviously has a strategy when it comes to the recruitment, doesn't he? Like, mm. he got brought in Lachlan Burr, who's just going to be a bits and pieces, honest half an hour a week back rower for them, or middle player. And let's get some organizing halfbacks into this team. Chad Townsend, Tom Dearden for the future. Um, there's a very definite strategy there in place, uh, which I which I like. I actually think the Dragons had a little bit of a strategy um, with Griffin. Like he's he's sort of he's picked you know McCulloch and Maguire and guys like that that he knows are effort players to try and b- uh, bolster the effort of his team, but because of their lack of youth, it's not a long-term strategy. So I, I think they will be needing a rebuild. But uh, to be honest, I think the Broncos the Broncos are probably uh, one of the more desperate in terms of a, a, a needed rebuild. And the reason I say that is because they lack a lot of experience in this team, like a lot. And there's enough talent in that forward pack, for example, you know, Payne Haas and Thomas Flegler and Pat Carrigan and Tavita Pangai Jr., like Ethan, Ethan Bullimore and Jordan Rickey. These are all really good players, but I don't know. I, I just feel like they're lacking a forward leader. I actually don't think it's Payne Haas. I don't think he's a forward leader. Um, he's a he's a meter reader and he's a battering ram, but I think he needs some help in there. And uh, I would be rebuilding. Yes, it's like a talent thing to an extent, but to me, it's a culture thing. And it's very, very clear at the Broncos that the culture is not good when you have guys like Deard and not getting a contract offer. Reese Walsh being in your contract squad and letting him go, uh, that seems crazy uh, nowadays. Xavier Coates looking like he's going to leave for less money to go to a good culture. Uh, the Broncos just never had that 15 years ago. So for me, it's, it's, it is the Broncos. Um, and what they need to do to get that back on track is just purely culture signings um get those really really good people i remember one of the best signings the cowboys ever made was getting glenn hall uh from the sea eagles he was a premiership winner at the sea eagles he's one of those real honest players that just got in there and did his bloody job for 50 minutes a week uh the broncos need more players like that and less players like jermaine Asako that have a really good step in them <laughs> but but are out of position three or four times a game for three, three or four tries. You know what I mean? And no one notices that sort of stuff, but they notice the big step. Um, I'd rather see more effort players and less flashy players at the Broncos, which is a balance they haven't got right at the moment. A team that has got that balance really good, though, is the Penrith Panthers, and they've won 25 of their last 26 matches. Uh, the only one that they've lost is the grand final, as it turns out. And it really was just a bad 40 minutes because their second half was pretty good. Uh, it was it was just a bad 40 minutes in 26 ma- matches and they cost them a premiership. The question is, are they the greatest club side 
to have not won a premiership. And that's, you know, there's a caveat there being like yet because they're obviously a very good chance of winning it this year, Miles. But are they the best club side that you've seen that have not won a premiership? Yes, they are. I don't have anything else to add. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty undeniable, isn't it, Kieran? What do yeah. You yeah, I the only team that I could think of was the year that I really started to get into the NRL, which was the Eels, and I thought maybe there was a bit of recency bias because I can't remember the Eels too well. But yeah, I've got the Panthers. I think that they're the the Sam Walker of the competition, young, adventurous, with no frills, eyes up footy, and they've got that Queensland spirit probably instilled by Kate Well, even if the majority of them are <laughs> New South Welshmen. <laughs> 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 I, uh, I I agree. It, it's it, like I, I actually thought the Eels. I, I mentioned them a few weeks ago that their 2001 side was just ridiculous, and they also had a bad 40 minutes, and it cost them a premiership against the Knights that year. Uh, very similar in that sense. Um, but yeah, no, the Panthers team they currently have is undeniable on both sides of the football. You know, having guys like uh, Cleary and Luai leading them around, but you know, Cleary's also an amazing defender and. Uh, Happy Coruscant comes back into that team just to make it stronger. But Mitch Kenny did a freaking excellent job in his absence. Uh, yeah, look, on both sides of the football, no doubt about it. Panthers are the best side, particularly of the NRL era, to have not won a premiership yet. Let's talk about some signings. I've got a new segment for us. It's basically going to be good business or strange move. We're going to talk about some of the very re- recent signings. And you guys are going to tell me whether you think that signing is good business for the club that has done the signing or a bit of a strange one. And I'll start us off with uh, today. It was announced today's Wednesday, by the way, today it was announced that Scott Drinkwater is re-signing with the Cowboys for a further two years. That is obviously with the fact that Valentine Holmes is currently contracted for a million dollars a year and they have signed Chad Townsend and Tom Dearden for next year. Kieran, you're a Cowboys fan. Is it good business for the Cowboys or a strange move? Uh, It's very good business. Um, I honestly would just about consider this make or break for the Cowboys. We had to keep drink water. Uh, As good as Holmes has been in recent weeks, I just think that the adventurous talent that Scott Drinkwater is and the, I don't know, I think he's only got five try assists this year, but he has this um, brilliant attitude and, and way of looking up at the line, even on last tackle and taking on the line and, he can score or provide points for the Cowboys almost at any moment. He's, yeah, great signing. At 23 years of age, he kind of reminds me of Cameron Munster light. Like, he's kind of, like, not not quite as competitive as Munster, I don't think, but very similar mm. style of play. A very running 5'8 with a left foot kick and, and a bit of a adapted 5'8. Miles, do you think this is good business for the Cowboys or a, or a bit of a strange one? <laughs> Well, I uh, certainly keep the punters wanting with this one because I'm I'm going to go in the exact opposite direction. I'm I'm really not sure about this one. Um, yeah, obviously, it's unclear where he's going to play next year. With as you guys said, Townsend and um, and oh, sorry, I've Dearden, Dearden, Dearden. That's it. Um, both of them coming in and also unsure on the terms. So I'm not sure of the length of the contract or the the value. I'm not sure that's been disclosed yet or not. Um, that that's good. That's obviously going to. Yeah, you know? two two years, uh, two year contract. But I could not find any information about the cost. 
yeah, two years. So it sounds like the Cowboys are hedging their bets as well. Um, I mean, I, I, yeah, it's just an especially weird one, especially given the the club just signed those those two halves, uh, Townsend and and, and Dearden. So it's not a lack of poor forward planning or something. They've clearly got a plan here, but they, it, it's going to be for one of those guys to have played in a position they've never never played in before. So yeah, it's a, it's an odd one, and, and it's not like he's going to play fullback either because Valentine Holmes is playing fullback, and you. You certainly don't want a, a wing earning him a million dollars a year. So, yeah, it's a, a bizarre one for me. I'm not sure where the Cowboys are going with this one, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Peyton may have shown his cards a little bit here. I've got a funny feeling that uh, he might be maybe thinking about moving Valentine Holmes on to try and save some money for some more bits and pieces players uh, elsewhere in the roster. But watch this space. Let's talk about another person that re-signed just today. Katoni Staggs has finally put pen to paper with the Brisbane Broncos, ending months of tension and speculation about his future. It's a four-year deal. Uh, I've heard estimates saying that it's at least 700 k a year, um, so maybe just less than $3 million across the four years for Katoni Staggs at the Broncos. Is that good business for the Broncos, Miles, or a, a strange one? Um, I think it's a good signing. I, I think he'll he'll really need to sort of break through again and start showing his his origin potential that we know he has for it to be a great signing. But um, if, if they do move him to five eight, like there is uh, a, a lot of attention regarding it in the media, and he does take off, then that could be an excellent signing. Kieran, do you concur with that? Oh, if they've signed him to be a five eight, I actually kind of think it's a bit. Maybe not strange. They definitely need a different five eight, but I don't know. I know he's played okay at five eight before. I, I don't. I don't think he's a long term five eight. Um, I don't think he would make Ponga couldn't make the transition. They're obviously different players, but I I like Katoni Staggs at centre. If they've signed him to be a centre, I think it's a great signing. Well, seven hundred k is probably reasonable money for your best outside back. Um, it's it's probably actually a bit on the on the expensive side. Uh, but if you get a four-year 5-8 out of it and that person uh, wins you football games fairly consistently, uh, 700K a year is, is a steal. Um, I would suggest it's a good signing for the Broncos if for no other reason than it stops the rot in terms of players leaving. The exodus that's going on in that, in that club is, is fairly ridiculous. And it's a statement signing. It is, look, 700K a year for someone of his ability is not that crazy. Uh, he's versatile, as we've discussed. Um, he's an effort player, but he's talented. Uh, I, I think, if nothing else, it's just good for the club to have a bit of a win uh, with their roster because it sounds to me, according to some rumours that are going on, uh, that Xavier Coates is all but signed at the Melbourne Storm for a two-year deal reportedly for less money than the Broncos are offering. Now, the Broncos are saying they have not given up and that nothing official has happened, and Xavier Coates' party is also saying that. But where there is smoke, there is fire, and I've got a funny feeling that this is a done deal. Uh, Xavier Coates to the Storm for two years. Kieran, for the Storm, is that good business or a strange move? It's very good business. Uh, I think we all saw what... Uh, Coates could do on his debut and then again on his origin debut um, he scored a brilliant try on Friday night he's shown that he's got all the potential in the world brilliant signing 
they're losing Josh Adokar as well, uh, Miles. And you'd say that if the Storm are offering less than the Broncos, then he might be a, maybe not a steal, but fairly good value. Oh no, definitely a steal in, in my opinion. Uh, anytime you can, um, anytime you can sort of get one of those state of origin talents under market value is absolutely a steal. Um, and you, you only figure he'd probably go to another level under Craig Bellamy. So that's scary to think of for the rest of the competition. Yeah, Greg Inglis levels potentially with his sort of physique. Uh, who who knows what he's capable of? And like you know. For the Broncos, they'll be desperately hoping that they can sign him up because, again, that'll be another roster win for them. But uh, as I said, I think the Storm have, have got that one tied up. Uh, speaking of outside backs, people that have been playing on the wing recently, Connor Tracy, where we mentioned earlier, has re-signed for the Sharks for three years. I'm not sure on the dollar value of that one. I have did a little bit of research, but I couldn't find anything. Uh, substantial. So, three-year deal for the Sharks, for Connor Tracy. Kieran, I don't think I need to ask you whether you think this is good business or not. Um, as much as I love the guy, I don't know if it's good business or not oh. because I don't know I don't know if they've figured out what position, much like Staggs, I don't know where they're going to play him. He's been playing in the centres, playing on the wing, and I think he's either a running 5'8 or a fullback. So, I think it's... I, I think it's definitely good to retain him, much like Stags, but they need to sort out where he's going to play. Well, it's interesting. Like I think Will Kennedy's their fullback. I think they've probably settled on that. Um, but they, you know, Matt Moylan, is he going to stay? Is he not? Sean Johnson's, I think, pretty much been told that he's not going to stay. Chad Townsend's obviously leaving. Um, they've got Braden Trindle there or thereabouts as a half option, and apparently they're going to sign Adam Reynolds. So look, maybe they're looking for a five-eighth. Maybe maybe that's exactly what they have in mind for him. I imagine Craig Fitzgibbons had something to do with this. Miles, is is that a fair read on things, or or uh, do you agree with Kieran that it's a strange move? Yeah, no, that, that that's my read on things too. Uh, I think the odds on money would be probably. Adam Reynolds at the halfback and Connor Tracy at 5'8 for next year, and that would make it a, a great deal for the Sharks. Again, as we said, unsure of the the exact terms outside of the four years, I think you said it was. Um, and, three and, years. Three years, and, you know, for what it's worth, locking a player that young down for three years is fantastic for the Sharks. But, um, yeah, look, if they can, again, same, same sort of thing as, as Staggs, as Kieran said, if they can get a, a cheaper half out of it and, and, you know, push on a little bit further than I think of them the next few years, and it could be a, a great bit of uh, a business for the Sharks. Yeah, I agree with that. Let's talk about Isan Masters. He's a centre from uh, originally the West Tigers, where he uh, did pretty well for a, a short time, and then he went to the Cowboys. Didn't do particularly well. Uh, was on the outer in Todd Payton's team, and he's just signed a contract for this season and next at the Gold Coast Titans. Miles, is Isan Masters good business for the Titans? You'd have to assume they probably didn't pay too much for him. Yeah, and I think that's what makes it good business. I think any time you can get a, an experienced um, veteran backup on a, a cheaper sort of dollar amount, then it, it is good business. Every club could do with more depth, so gets a tick from me. Kieran, would you agree with that? Yeah, the um, the only thing I'm thinking is uh, Herbert and uh, Corey Thompson are both injured, so it's definitely good for depth. I'm just worried about if the the Titans are in a finals match this season and they have to play Masters. I don't know if you can really 
rely upon him in in big moments to to show up for you. But if he was signing for the Storm, you'd you'd probably go, oh, geez, here we go again. The Storm are going to turn another NRL-level player into a a superstar. So I think it's a a decent enough signing, but uh, the jury's still out. Yeah, the the Storm could probably Branko Lee him, but uh, (laughs) can the Titans do it? I'm not so sure. The thing that I, I found concerning as a Cowboys fan, it was concerning for me when he was playing for us, was his defense. Uh, he seems like a, a very talented player, but um, so I think there's a good player in there to be unlocked. Uh, can Holbrook and the Titans do it? You know what? For the price and for the depth, it's probably a punt worth taking. I think it's I think it's good business for the Titans. I think it's probably also good business for the Cowboys, uh, and probably a good move for Isan Masters. So everyone's happy. And and the last one that we have is the very promising 19 year old center from the Warriors, Rocco Berry, has re-signed with the club until 2024. Kieran, uh, you would have watched the game on Sunday against the Cowboys. Uh, he's pretty impressive, and it's not doing the flashy things that Reese Walsh is doing. No, he he runs a nice line and uh, he's got a bit of a pace and he seems to be quite strong for, I don't know how old he is, but he's just made his debut. So I'm assuming he's quite young, quite strong for his age. Uh, Another one that young players are always hard to gauge how long um, they're going to keep this up for. We were saying Sam Walker might not be great again next season, but if Rockaberry can keep up the form he's showing now, I think it's a great signing. Yeah, I think I think the fundamentals are there. You know, like he's basing his game on the moment on those strong lines. He's a good athlete. He's strong, uh, and his defense has been really good. So that's the kind of thing that you probably can maintain as long as you keep the rage up in your in your mind. Uh, Miles, nineteen year old young center, highly spoken about by the Warriors. They've signed him up for three years. That's that's a that's a good sign for me. Yeah, yeah, you um, you said it all there. He's he's young and. Yeah, I think you said end of twenty twenty four, didn't you? So that's is that yeah. three years? Yeah. So they signed him through the you know, end of time. So like it's yeah, it's good business. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for your thoughts on that. I, I, I liked that we disagreed on a few things, and I was very curious about the Tony Staggs one. So I think this is a uh, while there's so much movement in the transfer market at the moment, I think we might keep this one in the run sheet moving forward. Hint, hint, Kieran. All right, thanks very much. We'll, we'll take a short break. Uh, we'll hear from, once again, my other podcast, Pretty Fly, a 90s nostalgia podcast. And then we're going to take a trip down memory lane to... Uh, our favourite NRL try or game celebrations ever. Back soon. If you can't get enough of Seinfeld, overalls with one of the straps undone, the Chicago Bulls winning championships, and the Brisbane Broncos being a good team, then it's a pretty good bet you love the 90s. If you do, you should tune in to Pretty Fly, a 90s nostalgia podcast, which is brought to you by the We Made This Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Bo Nicholson, and the founder of the Pioneer Australia, Daniel Lang. It's a conversation podcast where we discuss the pop culture icons of our favourite decade. Season 1 is ready to listen to right now, with Season 2 arriving soon. Search for Pretty Fly, a 90s nostalgia podcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right. Well, we had some fantastic scenes on Sunday at uh, at Wynn Stadium where Zach Sini 
made his debut and he appeared to score a try and it was disallowed, of course. Uh, but then he did manage to score a try and it just so happened to be in front of about what looked like it must have been almost a hundred of his family and friends who came down to Wollongong to watch him play. And just as he was about to cross the stripe, they were jumping and cheering. And, and it was, it was really fantastic to see the pride on his face, uh, as you know, he scored and he's celebrating with his teammates. And then he's walking back to his mark and he turns around and soaks it in, you know, and gives them a bit of a wave. And, and that was a really fantastic moment. And it, it got, Kieran, our, our run sheet writer, thinking, what is our favourite NRL try or game celebration ever? So, Kieran, this was this was your idea. Did you uh, did you have a favourite? I I didn't have a favourite. I've gone with three moments that just really stick out in my mind. And as bizarre as it's going to sound, I've picked two New South Wales uh, moments, and they're winning moments, not just tries. Uh, well, one is a try and a game. Uh, but anyway, I, I just couldn't go past them. I, I, as a, a rugby league fan, um, I think that they were some of the best moments. I could have included the Cowboys-Broncos grand final. Um, and uh, to pay adage to that, I guess is the word, uh, I loved it when Sterlow said at the end of that Cowboys-Broncos grand final, um, that's one of the greatest grand finals I've ever seen, and I'm so glad I was here to see it. Mm. When Hayne ran the ball dead in 2014 State of Origin Game 2, even though it ended our, our quest for nine and possibly ten years of winning Origin in a row, that was a game that I was just so glad to to be there and witness. I wasn't there, but I, I witnessed on TV. Um, and then the interview with a sea of blue behind him and the emotion on Haynes' face um, and the players coming up to him and he's just lost for words. And I think he says, um, it's been a long time. Oh, it's been a long time, man. And you can just tell how much it meant. It was just awesome to watch um i've got tedesco's last minute length of the field try versus queensland in game three this is probably good karma for me given all the shit we give miles with queensland <laughs> um and then freddie coming on to the pitch to celebrate as well um that was awesome even though i'm not a huge uh, freddie fan and then lastly i've got my favorite uh funny kind of moment i guess celebrating a win is uh michael ennis celebrating with the viking clap as a shark <laughs> player <laughs> in front of the Raiders fans after the Sharks beat them in the 2016 week one of the finals. <laughs> that was that. That was a good moment for sure. Um, Miles, to, re- to return the favour to Kieran, um, are you going to talk about Mark Coyne's 1994 State of Origin <laughs> try? That's not a try. That's a miracle. <laughs> no, no, I won't touch that. You've just uh, you've, you've outdone me there, so I won't. I won't mention it. Um, but look, I was going to say when, when it first came into my head, my, one of my favourite celebrations is the um, uh, well, it was known as the Hain plane. Um, we'll, we'll call it the airplane since um, uh, Jared Hain's uh, life has probably gone down the the wrong track now. But anyway, uh, I was reticent to mention it, obviously because of the controversy around Hain. But however, after doing some research, uh, I did uncover that it was actually. Um, and maybe Bo, as, as the oldest in the podcast, you might remember this. It was actually former uh, Roosters and Panthers wing, Peter Jorgensen. Jorgensen, yeah. Yeah, the originator <laughs> of the celebration. So uh, and I did look for some vision on YouTube of Jorgensen performing it just to con- confirm that it happened. But um, no, look, I, I think maybe uh, Haynes stole this one. Obviously, he, he grew up in, uh, in West Sydney around the time that Jorgensen would have been uh, celebrating in this manner for the Panthers. So it's entirely possible that... Um, 
I stole it from him. He committed a crime when he was a teenager as well. <laughs> Grand Theft Celebration. <laughs> we can we can call it the uh, the Jorgensen Jet if you like. Um, <laughs> there you go, the Jorgensen yeah. Jet. That's that's going to be my favourite then. Yeah, that's that's a good choice. That's a good choice. Uh, some honourable mentions. Um, you know, Michael Dell cheering on his own try from the stands. Um, Aaron Woods going into <laughs> orbit almost past his teammates in a huddle and <laughs> landing on gloriously like on face first and on was the ground. That, that was fantastic. The, uh, was that not the try that preceded the Hayne celebration as well? Hodkinson's try? Oh, I, I don't know, to be honest. Um, I can't re- I can't remember, but I, I do re- just remember oh, that. I remember, Bo. I remember. <laughs> Were you there? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Uh, look, I've got I've got three. I've got three to make the podium, just like Kieran did. Uh, my first is from the 1989 Grand Final. This is more of a game celebration. Uh, there's just something magical about that Grand Final, isn't there? And Steve Jackson's fairly incredible effort to score and rub salt in Tiger's wounds was pretty special. But seeing big Mel Meninga as captain of the side, crying and spitting out blood with passion for his team <laughs> and for his mates in a, frankly, barely intelligible post-match speech is pretty amazing footage uh, and I'm glad that we have it uh, more than 30 years later. Another grand final uh, game celebration that comes to mind is the the Glenn Lazarus cartwheel of 1999 uh, in response to Nathan Blacklock uh, cartwheeling every time he scored or Anthony Mundine. So they had big Lazo do perhaps the worst cartwheel you've ever seen in your life. But, uh, but he did it and it was elegant and it was beautiful in its own way. Um, but I think my absolute favorite, and this was a couple of different try celebrations, but I, I used to love watching the Indigenous All-Star Games. I, I watch them a little bit less nowadays, but when it first came in as an idea, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I used to love that when, when the Indigenous boys would score a try, they'd often do like traditional dances as celebrations. And I think of, you know, Matt Bowen shaking his knees at the... Uh, at the, at the dead ball line, or I think of Wendell Saylor grabbing the corner post and using it as a didgeridoo while Thurston and the rest of them are all shaking their knees and stuff. Like, that's just fantastic stuff. So that's that's where I've landed on on my favourite try celebration. Like Kieran, I did think about the Kyle Felt leap into the air uh, in 2015, but uh, I decided not to be boring because I think we talk enough about the Cowboys. Um, but thank you for that, guys. That was, that was good fun. Let's have a short little break, and we'll be back in the second half to talk about the upcoming fixtures in round one. Round nine is upon us, gentlemen, and to start us off is Thursday night. It's the Rabbitohs and the Storm, and Miles, you've got this one. The Rabbitohs um, fairly injury-affected for their game at Stadium Australia in Sydney. You've told the story of the game there a little bit, I think. Um, the the Rabbitohs look like they have way too many outs to, to be a really good chance in this one. They're, they're missing four of their, their starting backs, uh, Adam Reynolds, uh, Cameron Murray, um, sorry, three, Jackson Paulo and, and Campbell, Campbell Graham, who is, the, of course, the centre, and, and Cameron Murray, the, the lock. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, there, there seems to be a little bit too much new fodder in there for the for the, the Rabbitohs to be a real great chance. And I'm sure the Storm will take advantage of that. They always do. They always uh, seem to pick out a, a chink in the armour, and I'm sure you see them run some wide-out plays here and... and really take advantage of, of that back line. It has names in it like uh, Braden Burns. He hasn't played in forever. Stephen Masters, I'm not sure if he's a, 
a um, an East End relation, but he, he spells his name the same way. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a pretty convincing Storm win here. Yeah, the Storm have seemed to have taken their their final form here, Kieran. Do you see that going the same way? Yeah, look, the, unless Benji Marshall can create at least six obstructions to stop t- Storm tries, <laughs> I've got the Rabbitohs winning. <laughs> Um, yeah, look, I, I think I've got the storm as well. Just an interesting little bit of late mail that I read on NRL.com today is that they're looking at moving Johnson back onto the wing, which would probably be in place of either Stephen Masters or Tane Milne. Uh, moving Cody Walker back to fullback and having Dean Hawkins, who made his debut earlier this year from memory off the bench, um, coming into the halves. That's that's the that's the mail at the moment. So uh, keep an eye on that. But any Storm uh, side that has Fanukin and a Sofa Solomona on their bench, that's just a, a, a wealth of talent. Uh, so I think they'll be fine. Um, speaking of a wealth of talent, Kieran, the Panthers are playing on Friday evening at 6 o'clock at their home ground, which is Blue Bet Stadium, against the Cronulla Sharks. Yeah, wealth of talent and their recent results. Well, even extended recent results. Uh, extended results, I guess, is the proper way of saying it. Show it. Uh, show their wealth of talent. With they're going for twenty six wins from twenty seven games, and they concede nearly just a converted try a game at seven and a half points conceded on average per match this season. With his, which is just ridiculous. Especially they've played uh, the Storm. I think they've played the Raiders. They've played some quality sides and kept them to low scores uh i think the panthers win comfortably with players starting to hit top form uh combinations getting stronger and a full strength team with possible origin selection around the corner in saying that the sharks apart from their back line i think are pretty much at full strength um They've got a couple of people missing uh, out wide. But yeah, the, the Panthers are a juggernaut. The only concern there for the Panthers, I think, is that Kurt Capewell is carrying an injury. Uh, he may not play. And if I was Ivan Cleary, I'm probably giving him a week because you can just bring Liam Martin into your bloody starting side and Scott Sorensen onto the bench. And that's that's a fairly that's a fairly mm-hmm. fair replacement. Miles, do you have the Panthers as well? Yeah, Panthers for me. Yeah, I thought that might be the case. Uh, I have the next game, which is between the Eels and the Roosters, which is from the Eels' home ground, Bankwest Stadium, at 7.55 p.m. I think the injury toll is the story here. Uh, the, the Roosters, they're sort of hanging together by a thread. They've they've still got a quality roster, which, of course, is a testament to their front office and, and their coaching and, and their development. But... Geez, the way the eels are swimming at the moment, it's it's pretty hard for me to see the roosters prevailing here. So I'm going to go for the eels, Kieran. Who do you have? Yeah, I think if the eels are who they say they are, and I, I think they are, um, <laughs> I th- they'll win this game. I've got the the eels. <laughs> <laughs> who else would they be? <laughs> Where do they say they are? <laughs> well, the dragons. I don't think know who they are. So <laughs> <laughs> that's fair enough. Uh, Miles, do you have a tip for this one? Uh, look, I, um, I was, yeah, I was also set to tap the Roosters here, but you've, you've sort of talked me out of it a little bit. I, I, I don't know. I just think that this is the sort of the game the Roosters are expect would, would be expected to lose, and then they show up and win it. So, um, mm. but uh, no, you, I think you guys are strong. Me, I'm going to go for the Eels here. Bankwest is a factor for me as well. I think in that one, um, but Miles. 
Canberra won't be a factor in terms of a home ground advantage on Saturday afternoon because they've taken their home game to McDonald's Park at Wagga Wagga to play against the Newcastle Knights. Yeah, look, uh, both teams have, have gotten a few players back here. Uh, for the Raiders, it's obviously uh, Josh Papali, who, who's coming back to the team, and, and George Williams as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Damas Louis shouldn't, uh, it's nothing to be uh, uh, sneezed at either, but he's in the reserves bench, so unlikely he sees the field. Um, uh, and look, the, the Knights are looking like an absolute basket case at the moment, so they're, they're, they're not, I don't think they're quite at untippable yet, but they're certainly getting there. Um, and, and as you said, uh, no home game for the Raiders, but I, I don't think Wagga Wagga is all that far from Canberra, so I certainly uh, expect there to be um, more Raiders fans there than Knights fans, so it's a, a pretty easy uh, Raiders uh, one for, for me here. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna back that in as well, and I think the main reason I will is because they they have played some really good football recently in terms of you know their first half against the Cowboys and their first half against the Rabbitohs uh, were both pretty excellent. Uh, some good inclusions there with Papali'i coming back, and the Knights don't have Mitchell Pearce. They've just lost Blake Green potentially fairly long term, so Phoenix Crossland, who's quite inexperienced is jumping into halfback. I expect that Kalen Ponga will have his hands on the ball a lot more. That could be good for the Knights, but I, I'm not sure it's going to get them the win. So I'm going to go the Raiders as well. Kieran, where do you land on this one? Yeah, you said exactly uh, right at the end there what I was thinking. Ponga will have more of the ball, but I, I don't think he can drag the Knights to a win on his own. I've got the Raiders. And you also have the Saturday afternoon game between the Tigers and the Titans from Campbelltown. At 5:30 p.m. Uh, yeah, it's a, a bit of a shame that Tommy Talau is out suspended because he's been a a bit of a feature in the with the Tigers team the last few games. He was good against the Rabbitohs and then good in their win against the Dragons. Um, they've got Mbai who comes in at centre gets to uh, show his worth. He's probably going to be moved on, so um, this will be a, a big game for him to sort of show what he can do to other mm-hmm. NRL teams. Um, and then Zaccini retains his spot. Um, so that's uh, an- another good thing for the Tigers. Uh, Tino Fas Asua Maliawi returns from shoulder charge ban in a mm-hmm. huge boost for the Titans pack. Um, and Mo Fodawaka drops back to the bench, which I still find a bit strange. Um, I do like Jared Wallace, especially he's kind of resurrected his career. Um, it's been good, but I, I would start Fodawaka, I think. But alas, I've probably got the, uh, the Titans on that note uh, winning this one. Yeah, I think I think having Fodawaker on the bench and Wallace starting is kind of like an old Tim Glasby move, or maybe even a Christian Welch move. Like you've got you know this guy that just does the one percenters, like he'll he'll fill the gaps in defence and things like that. And then you have a guy like Mo Fodawaker who can come on after twenty five minutes and re-energize the team on the attacking side of the ball. So I think that's that, that's probably the theory there. One thing I've noticed okay. for the Titans is they've named Bo Furmore, uh, who's more of a, a back rower in the centers, and they have Isan Masters in the reserves. I would not be shocked to see Isan get a run. That would mean that, um, well, Brian Kelly is a left center, so it's, it's the right center position that's uh, being filled by Bo Furmore. So I would, I would expect Isan Masters will play there. Um, I I think the Titans just have a better forward pack and that's where the game will be won. So I'm going to go with them. But Miles, Campbelltown could be a factor. Uh, yeah, it could be. Um, but I, I don't know. I, the Tigers are, yeah, I think at that point, where 
home games are they're too inconsistent for it to matter really. Um, but but so are the Titans. Uh, but I think uh, obviously the the Titans' wavelength in terms of um, uh, their best and worst performances is, is probably a bit smaller than the Tigers. So I'm going to unconfidently tip the Titans. Yeah, that's pretty much where I landed too. I, I thought about tipping the Tigers, but I don't know, just that forward pack worries me a little bit. Speaking of forward packs that worry me a little bit, we've got the uh, the Cowboys <laughs> are playing against the Broncos um, at 7.35 later that evening on Saturday night from Queensland Country Bank Stadium in Townsville, which I still haven't been to, Kieran, and I, I really need to make the effort to yeah. get up there and see my grandparents as well. I suppose that's a thing too. Um, <laughs> look... <laughs> <laughs> Look, nothing makes me more biased, I think, than a Cowboys versus Broncos game. But I'll try my best to remain impartial. Ah, fuck it. Cowboys by 56. <laughs> that's, that's, that's where I'm going to go. Kieran, 57 plus? 57 plus. I, I just like the, the continuity in the in the Cowboys team. Uh, I, th- I can see them even scoring 60, 70. So, yeah, could go the Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> Miles, can you balance us out a little bit here? Uh, well, I'm, no, I'm going to tip the Cowboys as well. But um, uh, d- did you not uh, lose to the Broncos last time you two played at uh, Queensland Country yeah, Bank Stadium? Dave Zafidis. Yeah. yeah, good yeah. trivia, good trivia. But they don't have David Fafita this time, as Kieran points out. So uh, they got Tavita Panguai Jr., who's arguably in freaking just as good form. Uh, yeah, no, the, the Cowboys at home should, but you know you can't say that with the Cowboys either. They've they've dropped Justin O'Neill. Yeah, that's interesting. David Bowen comes in. That's interesting too. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to tip. I don't know. Miles, uh, speaking of hard to tip, I'm actually having some trouble with this one on Sunday afternoon from uh, Lotto Land. Um, it's the Sea Eagles versus the New Zealand Warriors. I um, yeah, it's hard for me to get a, a, a read on this one. Okay, that's interesting. It wasn't that hard for me to get a read. Uh, at this stage, I think um, the the Sea Eagles have, have been the real movers of the NRL with with Tom Travojevich back in the past few weeks and I think they'd, they'd back themselves to win this one pretty comfortably uh, especially given it is at Lotto Land and, but you know the Warriors are a chance in every game so you know I guess stay away from this one if you, if you do like action if that's your thing um, but yeah the, the Warriors have, have not really been very impressive to me the, the past few weeks so I'm, I'm going to go with the, the Sea Eagles Kira where do you land on this one? Yeah, to be honest, I think the Warriors were, uh, with all due respect, they were a bit lucky with the frail defence of the Cowboys that's still, as you said, a a prominent feature um, for the Cowboys. I I think Manly have shown in the last four games that they're really on the up, as Miles said as well. I've got Manly winning. My biggest concern for Manly, like I, I otherwise agree with you guys, my biggest concern is their forward pack for this week. They've just lost Marty Tapao. And Josh Alawai. Alawai's going to be out long-term, like possibly three months. Um, but he's not as big a loss as Tapao is. Um, look, Sean Kepi looks a decent front rower. He'll come into the starting pack. Um, but, yeah, I don't... Uh, uh, like, uh, the Warriors have also lost Ben Murdoch-Masila, and I'm a big fan of him too. It's, it's a tough one. Uh, I'm going to go against the grain, though. I'm going to tip the Warriors. Um uh, I don't really have much more of a reason. I just think I think that loss of body to power is actually a pretty major for the Sea Eagles. Uh, so 
Let's Go the Warriors. And the final game of the week is the uh, free-to-air game uh, between the Dragons and the Bulldogs at 4.05pm from Netstrata Jubilee Stadium in Sydney, please, Kieran. Yeah, uh, so I was talking about the Dragons, obviously, earlier in the pod, saying that uh, they've lost... Actually, I don't know if I mentioned it, but they've lost their last three... Um, and I, I just don't really like the direction that they're going in as a club um, week to week. I'm not sure what we're going to get. Um, and that is a bit the same with the Bulldogs. But I, I think the Bulldogs have shown in recent weeks that they've got a bit of a better attitude. Um, just quickly looking over the team list, it, it is very hard to tip against the Dragons, though. I think the Dragons will get the win, but not by a lot. It feels like a... A game of two halves for me, like in the sense that the Dragons appear to have the stronger forward pack, at least on paper. But that uh, back line of the Bulldogs, uh, having Terrell Fumiano uh, in the centres and Max Figai, I'm not entirely convinced about that Dragons right side. Um, so I'd be directing a fair bit of traffic that way if I was the Bulldogs. Uh, I've got a sneaky about the Bulldogs. I'm going to tip them. Miles, where do you land? I'm also going to tip the Bulldogs. Similar reason? Um, well, you know what? Why don't you wait for my bowl prediction? <laughs> All right, I will. So, so Miles, you've, you've teed us us right there. Why don't you just go ahead and give us that bowl prediction? Yeah, um, as I as I once said uh, a while ago, the the Dragons looked pretty terrible after Zach Lomax went off the field Sunday. They barely looked like uh, scoring a point, and it looks like he's going to be facing a, a fair while on the sidelines now. And I, I think he will be affirmed as as by far their their most important player this week. With the Dragons slumping to yet another home loss uh, against another struggling team this week, the the Bulldogs in Cogra. Um, and I think to, to rub salt into the wound, I think that Lomax's would-be direct matchup uh, on this occasion, Corey Allen, will score a try on the occasion. So to to put a, a nice little bow on it, uh, Corey Allen to, to score a, uh, a try in the a Bulldogs win in, in Cogra. And start his ascent to the uh, Queensland origin centre <laughs> position. That oh, will probably be vacated. It'll be between him and court Kurt Capel, to be honest, oh, probably. I, I, I welcome Corey Allen. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true Blues fan. Uh, my bold prediction for the week is... I mentioned that I think that Jermaine Asako struggles a little bit when it comes to his positional play close to the line... Um, uh, you'll find that often fullbacks nowadays, Darius Boyd started this tradition, but you know they, they put themselves in the line, not behind it, when a team is about 15 or 10 metres out from the, 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 the try line. So Asako does that, but he very, very often finds himself on the wrong side of the ruck. And I find that he doesn't make the same efforts to get across to cover grubber kicks or attacking kicks like the Pappenhausens and Tedesco's do. So I'm tipping the Cowboys to score three tries from attacking kicks. So that's the, and I like, you know, that's considering Oates and Coates are both fantastic under the high ball. I think it'll be mostly grubbers or attacking kicks that don't quite go to the wing. So three attacking kicks for tries for the Cowboys at Queensland Country Bank Stadium as part of that 56 point victory they're going to have. Kieran, what is your bowl prediction? Um, I haven't actually tipped this uh, 
per se, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say six home teams to win and, and only two away teams winning this weekend. Um, yeah, that's my bold prediction for the weekend. It's bold considering that you've changed your tips since tipping five minutes ago. <laughs> but, but I like it. It's very on brand for you, actually, just chopping and changing the tips every now and then. Yeah, yeah, that's me. Uh, I've said it before, I changed my tip at the last second. So whatever whatever my intuition says, that's the go. You're four out of eight for last weekend. Did you, yeah. did you change tips to make it worse? Oh, uh, I think I may have changed one, but I guess the fact that I got only got four from eight and the fact that I'm tipping uh, six home teams to win, I have to get at least, I have to improve from last week. So I guess that makes it bold within itself. <laughs> Don't worry, mate. You'll stay well ahead of me in the tips. Uh, well, that's, that's all we have time for uh, this week. Thank you very much, gentlemen. And, uh, you know, they're playing at home against their arch enemies. So go the Cowboys go the Cowboys and Arsenal on Friday morning go the Cowboys oh thanks yes. <laughs> thank you Miles need a great team for there's a full time siren Above the Horizontal is brought to you by the Pioneer Australia. Find them on Facebook or at www.pioneeraustralia.wordpress.com. The Above the Horizontal panellists are Miles Stedman and Kieran Gibson, and it's hosted and produced by me, Bo Nicholson.